2: surprisingly i believe wait for your next mistake i put in work and watch my escalate welcome into
3: the hunt Blackboard, and pass podcast, the podcast. The aaron it is plan. thursday the january like the fourth like and the y'all. national championship game is just a couple days it. away we are doing a live call-in podcast today it's special it's game week so we're gonna do exactly that we have an awesome interview for all of our listeners later on in the show we called up Coach Mike Bobo, the head coach of the Colorado State Rams, the former offensive coordinator at the University of Georgia, and we asked him a bunch of questions, especially about the big game this weekend. And we also recorded a couple other interviews: Danny Cannell, noted SEC hater, Twitter troll, Fox Sports One, Cannell and Bell podcast. He will be on the show later on this week. Laura Rutledge from SEC Network and ESPN, Paul Feinbaum show. She will be on Punt and Pass this week, and then Sunday. Before the big game, we had John Parker Wilson, former record setting Alabama quarterback, on the podcast to talk all things Alabama and Georgia. We are at Punt and Pass on Twitter and Instagram. Aaron is at Aaron Murray11. I am at Drew Butler13. And before we get started and before we start taking phone calls, we have some big news. Tomorrow, Friday, January the 5th. Is that right? Is it January the 5th tomorrow?
2: Tomorrow is January the 5th. You are I correct. I'm so good. You Tomorrow,
3: correct. January the 5th at Sweetwater Brewery in Atlanta, we will be doing another live podcast. If you show up at 6, Aaron and I are having a meet and greet. Tickets are $20 for the meet and greet, and you get a free beer with your ticket. So that will be awesome. We will be getting the podcast going at 7 p.m. If you just want to come hang out for the podcast, roll in there at 7 and it will be good to go. So tomorrow, Friday, January the 5th, Sweetwater Brewery in Atlanta, Punt and Pass podcast live. Meet and greet from six to seven, $20 with a free beer. Podcast goes live at seven. It's game week, dude. You can feel it. We're at 680 in Atlanta right now recording, and uh,
2: it's tangible. It's tangible. It's been nonstop. I tell you what, it, for for the CBS for me right now, it's been like every hour just doing interviews. People want to talk about this game. I think ESPN switching it to ESPN right now, they've done a tremendous job. And we've talked about this before in previous podcasts about just pumping this up for the past three months, getting the playoffs rolling, getting the excitement going. And I know it's two SEC teams. I know it's a Georgia, Alabama. I'm sure the majority of the country is probably pissed off about it, but I think they're still going to tune in and watch. I think they've done such a great job promoting it, getting one ready to route up. And it's going to be an awesome night. I think it's going to be beautiful here in Atlanta. Maybe a little bit rainy on Monday. Hopefully that gets pushed back till Tuesday. So it's a beautiful day to get there and, and have some fun. But it's going to be an exciting weekend. Like you alluded to, we got a bunch of fun events. We're going to continue letting you guys know throughout the weekend. We'll be out and about through Atlanta. Getting you ready to rock and roll for an exciting national championship game.
3: Yeah, dude, it is so exciting. And that matchup, the matchup between Georgia and Alabama, it's polarizing, right? I mean... The rest of the nation outside the Southeastern Conference area is not that excited, and that's pretty obvious. We asked Coach Bobo about that. A couple other things we asked Coach Bobo about. One of the things that I wanted to get his thoughts on was the record of Kirby Smart, excuse me, Nick Saban, against his former assistants, right? He's 11-0. He's outscored him, I think, by an average of 14 or more points Per game. And I just asked Coach Boba, I said, do you buy into that, right? I mean, let's talk about the assistant coaches that Nick Saban has gone against. Derek Dooley at Tennessee, Muschamp at Florida, McIlwain at Florida, right? Jimbo Fisher just this past year. Kirby Smart and Georgia are by far the best team that he has had to play, Nick Saban has had to play that is coached by one of his former assistants. Do you think it's just going to be some blowout because of that exact statistic?
2: No, and like you said, that he has yet to face a team like this Georgia team in this stage. And like you said, he's faced Derek Dooley, Tennessee, Derek Dooley 0-3. Jim McElwain at Colorado State and Florida 0-3. Will must Champ at Florida 0-2. Mark Dan Antonio, Michigan State 0-2, and Jimbo Fisher, Florida State 0-1 not great football teams. And everyone wanted to talk about that Florida state game early in the season. And obviously Florida state is just not that great of a football team. And it doesn't matter that you lost your quarterback. You still shouldn't be that bad. Even just losing one position, even if it is the main position you can't be, you can't have that big of a fall off. So by far the best team he'll be facing. I think Kirby smart is a tremendous coach. I think he's been around Nick Saban long enough to understand what it's like to be in these type of games. I mean, he's coached numerous yeah. championship games, SEC championship games, national championship games, playoff games. He knows the schedule. He knows the media obligations between himself, his coaches, his players. He knows what to do in order to get these kids rest, to make sure they're focused, make sure they're ready to rock and roll. So this this may be the first one. You I know, know We're going to say the predictions for later on, maybe later in the week, but it's going to be a great game. I think it's going to be a very, very close game. Uh, and by, I think Kirby Smart, if anyone's capable of kind of getting, getting, giving Nick Saban his first loss against an assistant, I think he is the one because he's a great coach and he has a damn good football team heading into this game.
3: Absolutely. And, and if you hang on later on in the podcast and we play the Coach Bobo interview, he has a couple of really interesting things to say about that. Another thing that we asked Coach Bobo about, a hot topic on the Punt and Pass podcast really all season long was the Jacob Eason saga. Okay. So listen to what Coach Bobo has to say there. And then also Jake Fromm. Coach Bobo was talking about recruiting Jake Fromm, how special he was and how special he knew he was back in high school. So that was really, really cool to hear. How about his prediction, Aaron? His prediction of the big game.
2: I tell you what everyone's prediction of these games, so I it's you're going to hear some crazy stuff. You're in here, guys, I think there's going to be a lot of going back and forth. I know for us, I think we're pretty set in our ways. I'm interested to see what you have to say about this game, but yeah. I think there's going to be a lot of people saying one thing now. And as we get going on Saturday, they're going to be saying another thing. And then on Sunday, another thing and then on another thing on Monday, I think it's just too close to decide right now. I think there's still a lot more to be done when it comes to breaking down, kind of analyzing what's going on. Is everyone how healthy is everyone? How's everyone feeling heading to this game? So It makes for good, good debate, good conversation. And I think it's going to make for a great football game. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see everyone as you tune in all these great guests we have over the next few days uh, to kind of hear their opinion, to help you prep and to see if you want to put some money on the line, see if that's all right. I
3: was just about to say that the, the guests that we have this week for everyone and the insight that they give with their predictions really can help everyone formulate what exactly they think is going to go down on Monday night in Mercedes Benz stadium, Alabama, Against Georgia
2: spread right now. Three and a half. Yeah. Big money. You, you coming think it's going to flip it all. You think it's going to change as we get going. So it got up to five. You're, you're the Vegas man. Yeah, you're it, better than me. It at this got old.
3: up to five. It started at four and a half. I thought it would go down from there. It went up. So a couple of guys, obviously majority put some money on Alabama with it going down to three and a half. I think big money got put on Georgia. I think some heavy hitters out in Vegas said, I think these are two evenly matched teams. And when you look at the statistics, they are two evenly matched teams. So why not buy the five points, right? Yes. A lot of money going in on Georgia. The spread is now down to three and a half. I think it could go lower than a field goal before kickoff. Obviously, a lot of times still, it's only Thursday
1: afternoon. All right,
3: let's go in with our first caller. Matt, how are you doing, sir? Welcome into the punt and pass podcast.
1: Hey guys, I'm doing great. Calling from uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. All right, Georgia Cincinnati. Are you a, a Bengals fan? Uh, I'm a Bengals follower. but well, <laughs> uh, <laughs> So, so many dogs
2: on the Bengals, though, which is nice for you up there.
1: Yeah, I've uh, got a chance to meet AJ and guys like that, so it's been, it's been pretty cool. But I appreciate you guys taking my call. Uh, my thing was uh, I was watching the game this weekend and Kirk Herbstreet uh talked about you know I asked Jake from uh when's the last time you were nervous during a game and he kind of sat there and was like I really can't tell you the last time and I and I'm sitting here like wow you've got to be kidding me I mean you know I was a former college baseball player and I could tell you how many big games I would have thrown in and I was really nervous you know like I I wouldn't be lying <laughs> if if uh, I said I wasn't nervous and uh it just amazes me. Like, what are your guys' thoughts on Jake and the way he's handled himself, and especially in big games like that? And the other thing was, uh, I think this weekend uh, for this game on Monday, I think down and distance is going to play a huge part, uh, especially with Alabama uh, making making their quarterback make throws uh, in key situations. Because I don't necessarily know. If he can make those throws, he hasn't. You know, there's been games where he hasn't proven that he can do that. So that's kind of my thoughts.
2: Well, I appreciate the call, Matt. And going to your first question about uh, Jake Fromm a little bit. And the one thing I've loved from, from day one is his preparation. I think your preparation, obviously, for these guys, Sunday through Friday, just breeds excellence come Saturday. And he's a guy who, who, who loves the details. He loves working, he loves getting into the film room, grinding away, studying tape, understanding the game plan. And I think it showed this past week, especially versus Oklahoma, when he's able to get to a line of scrimmage, check play, an overload blitz from one side, checks a run play to the opposite, and we score a 40-yard touchdown. So those are just little examples of him knowing what he's doing, having the confidence in himself, and also these coaching staff and Chaney having the confidence in him to say, hey, listen, we're going to put this on you. We're going to put the offense on your back. We trust your preparation. We trust that you are the leader of this football team. Go out there and do your thing. Put us in the right situation to excel and And I tell you what, when you're a confident kid and when you have the the backing of your coaches, when you have the backing of your players, you go out there and you just play better football. And he's done a tremendous job all year, putting his guys in the right situation, done a great job of not turning it over and also understanding that he doesn't have to do it all. He is probably the best tandem of backs or probably best trio of backs in the country. And he is one of the best defenses in the country. If it's not there, check it down to one of your, your, your stud running backs, let him make some yards. And if you don't get a ball, punt it away and let your defense go out there and do a great job for you as well. So I think he's done a great job understanding what's around him and not playing out of out of his character. So he's done a great job in that standpoint. And for Drew, sure. let you take the second question. Yeah,
3: yeah. You know when he was talking about not being nervous and, and telling Kirk Kerb Street, I can't remember the last time I've been nervous. I don't buy that. I'm sure he had butterflies in his stomach before the SEC championship game. I'm sure he had butterflies in his stomach. Before the Rose Bowl, and he most certainly will on Monday night against Alabama in the national championship game. But discipline breeds confidence, right? Aaron Kirby Smart has these guys believing in the process, and Jake Fromm has bought into that process one hundred percent. He takes care of business throughout the week to be prepared on game day. So I I agree with him. He's probably not nervous, but he definitely has butterfly because he knows he's doing what he loves, and he knows he's doing what's important to him. So thanks for the call, Matt. That was a fantastic question. Next up, we're going to welcome Jordan into the Punt and Pass podcast. Jordan, we appreciate you holding. How's everything going? It's wonderful, guys. Go dogs! Yes, sir. What you got for us today? All right. Basically, I just want to talk
0: about DeAndre Swift and his impact on this national championship game. Felt like Oklahoma kind of kept him in check. With some of the things that we were doing to him, and he's such a dynamic playmaker, I'm just wondering what you guys think Kirby's going to do to get him the ball on Monday.
3: Yeah, well, you know, Chubb and Sony Michelle were just on absolute fire during the Rose Bowl, so I didn't really see much of an opportunity for Swift to make an impact on the game, Aaron. It's interesting because Swift will have an opportunity to make an impact on Saturday, simply because Alabama is going to try to stop the run. And he is the one back who can get into space and really make something happen.
2: I think with a kid like Deandre Swift, you got to find ways to be creative. Maybe it's not handing him the ball. Maybe it's a jet sweep. Maybe it's putting him in the slot, matching him up with a safety, matching him up with a linebacker because he is too good just to have the ball four times in his hands. He has four rushes, six yards. He's too quick. He's too elusive. He's too everything. Find ways to be creative, but Going back to what you said, Drew, it's hard to get him the ball when you have two All-Americans in front of him, when you have two guys that are going to be drafted next year's draft. I mean, Sony was having a heck of a day. Nick Chubb was having a heck of a day. When you get those guys rolling, and I think that's that's what George done well all year, they've kept these guys healthy. Yeah, and fresh. Sony right yep. now is healthy. Chubb's healthy. They've, they've they've had the ability now that these guys haven't taken a pounding all year because they've used, they've used Swift. They've used Holyfield. These guys, their top, top studs right now are feeling great, and that's a huge advantage heading in this game. Absolutely. Or maybe Alabama's backs aren't as healthy. Maybe they're banged up. They're nicked up a little bit more. So it's going to be hard to get Swift in there the way those two other guys are playing. But I tell you what, if you if you can get creative, though, he's a mismatch all over the football field.
3: Creative or just simply stick to the plan, right? I mean, you, sh- you showed what happened in the SEC championship game. It was a knockdown drag out. And then later on in the game, Swift breaks off a huge run to break the game wide open. Appreciate the call. Jordan, next up on the Punt and Pass podcast. Nick, we appreciate you holding what you got for us today, man.
2: Hey, what's up, guys? Love the podcast. Um, I kind of had a question about UGA playing in their backyard in the national championship, wondering if they have less pressure because they don't have to travel across the
1: nation and play such a crazy dynamic offense. No, that's an SEC foe. What are y'all's thoughts?
3: Yeah, Nick, that's a fantastic question. A lot has been said about Georgia really emptying the tank emotionally and physically last week in the Rose Bowl, one of the greatest college football games of all time. The one thing that can kind of level the playing field for them is only having to get on a bus and go to Atlanta, a place that they're familiar with, a place where they played a right. huge game just a few weeks ago in the SEC championship. So you make a great point. The energy will be there. The familiarity will be there. If they had to get on a plane and say, go to Glendale and play in Arizona, I would be extremely, extremely weary. But the best part is, Nick, is that each team has to be in Atlanta on Friday. They're going to be in hotels. And at that point, you normalize a game week and you take it from there.
2: I disagree with the fact that these guys are a little worn out right now. I think they're, yeah. the, the emotional highs and lows of that game that they just played in Oklahoma... I think they'll be fine for the game this week. And I think they'll be plenty rested. I think Kirby's gonna look at these guys throughout the week, make sure they're ready to rock and roll. I just think they're gonna be a little bit behind in preparation. I think it's gonna take, take them a couple of days to get back. Yeah, I think they've been on the West Coast for six days. Yeah. That's six days. It's easy being, to go,
3: it's easy to go east to west though. Harder to go west to east. Yeah, which they gonna do? They're uh, gonna exactly. go west to
2: east after being there for six days. Yeah. I think that's gonna be it, take a toll on your body they're not going to be up and recovering as fast as say in Alabama is right now. So I think just from a preparation standpoint, they may have lost a day compared to Alabama. And that's when you have one week to get ready for national championship and you're going against Alabama, that that one day is critical.
3: Yeah. And and I I hear exactly what you're saying. There's no doubt that Georgia is at a disadvantage in that respect, but Aaron, Alabama finished the game at damn near 2. AM. Right. I mean, it was a long day for them too. So, It'll be interesting to see what exactly goes down. Scott, are you there? My man, appreciate you holding. Welcome to the punt and pass podcast.
1: Yeah, awesome to be here. Um, What do you think uh, Jake Fromm's main area of focus should be going into the game for preparing?
2: I think continue to protect the football. I think that's something he's done all year. I think this game is going to come down the field position. What team can take care of the football and understand that kicking it, whether it's a field goal or whether it's a punt is perfectly safe. I think he's done a great job all year because it's tough to go 75, 80, 90 yards against great defenses. But if you're turning the ball over, if you if you try to hold the ball on a little bit too long in the pocket, or if you're throwing a silly interception, we saw Kelly Bryan do that last week for Clemson. Yeah. That's when you get in trouble because then all of a sudden Alabama is either returning it for a touchdown or then you give them great field position. So take care of the football. Continue to utilize the backs. I think he did a great job last week. Oklahoma said, you're not going to throw the ball deep on us. We're going to drop our safeties. We're going to drop our linebackers. He did a great job getting through his reads, getting the ball down to his running backs. And that's only going to open up the play action pass for later on in the game as well.
3: Absolutely. And the thing that has to make you feel good about from not doing that, Aaron, is that he hasn't done that. When's the last time he's looked like a true freshman? Was it the Tennessee game? Yeah, I mean, really, when was the last time you're like, and even this that a game he came
2: out and played really yeah. well too. I mean, there's, there's obviously there's been moments throughout the season where he, you've kind of say, okay, there's a freshman moment, yeah. but I got to tell you 80, 85% of the time, the kid looks like he's been there for a couple of years. I mean, he's really mastered awesome. this offense. It's really cool. He has the confidence. And even that last game versus Oklahoma, I mean, some of the throws he made in that last quarter were really impressive for a young buck.
3: Next guest on the punt and pass podcast, a special guest. Will, how are you doing, sir? True. Hey, brother. How's it going? It's going great. What you got for us? You got your, uh, you got your boy, Aaron Murray on here too.
0: Oh, perfect. Murray. um, Listen, I've got a question for both of you guys. First, congrats on all the success with the podcast. Thanks brother. Secondly, what's um, uh, what I really want to understand is understanding how bad we were defensively, especially on the defensive line in the first half. Uh, We, we did much better in the second half. How are we going to match up with Alabama's uh, uh, front on the offensive line,
1: are, are we going to be able to compete effectively with them?
3: I think so. Will. I mean, honestly, I underestimated Oklahoma's level of eliteness. If that's even a thing to say, I'm watching the game on my TV going, wow, this is absolutely crazy. Aaron, they were playing offense on air, but give credit to Kirby smart and the coaching staff. They made the adjustments to be able to have success in the second half. Yeah, but
2: you're going against an Oklahoma team. This, that sure. offensive line, probably one of the best offensive lines in the country. You have the Heisman winning quarterback. You have a great running back. You got great receivers. So dynamically, that Oklahoma offense is, and they were statistically this entire season, one of hook. the best offenses in the country. Sure. So it's a tough offense to stop, especially once they get rolling. They get a first down. They get some momentum going. You're reeling as a defense, and you have to play pretty much very basic defense against that team because you can't get lined up fast. They're snapping the ball within five, six seconds. You're playing basic. They know you're playing basic. And I thought we just came out a little bit too aggressive as well. We were a little bit too downhill. They understood that we were going to be amped up. We're going to be bringing the juice. They utilize the play action. They got Baker out of the pocket. And then we did blitz. They had a great game plan of running away from the blitz, moving Baker Mayfield out of the pocket away from the blitz as well. Uh, So I think they were just a little bit more prepared early on. But just like Drew alluded to, Kudos to Kirby and our defensive guys have getting those guys, you know, making the adjustments. I thought we did a better job bringing some heat up the middle, yep. the rest of the collapse game, the pocket, collapse the pocket make a shorter quarterback move and feel uncomfortable because it's tough to see over six, five guys within your face.
3: Yeah. And, and will great question as well. The one thing that Georgia will know coming into this week is it's like looking into the mirror. I mean, Georgia and Alabama are going to line up, put their hands in the ground, try to run the ball, take advantage of some play action. If it's available they know what to expect. And like Aaron said, Oklahoma as dynamic as they were, they had an absolute open playbook. They could call anything and know that they were going to get some chunk yardage. So great phone call. Will, we appreciate you calling in next up. He's been on hold for a while. Nick, thanks for calling into the punt and pass podcast. What's on your mind, my man.
1: Hey, Drew. Hey, Aaron. Huge fan. Um, Thanks for having me on. Uh, Just had one quick question. Um, Just, just to preface this, I was actually at the game. We were, uh, me and my buddy, who, that was his first Georgia game ever. Oh, so wow. he's going to be a Lifetime fan. I bet. Now, so, yeah. So, excuse my voice, I lost it it's like crazy.
3: Understandable.
1: Today. But, but uh, we were actually in the Georgia end zone. Uh, I had a question, now that I got back and got to look at all the highlights and everything. How critical do you think it was, after we tied it up at 45, <clears throat> that uh, we lost that, that coin toss? The second one of the game actually, uh, and were able to pick the end zone. How do you think that affected overtime
2: specifically? See, I was confused. I always thought after the first overtime, they would also flip it and put it at the other side. Was of it the in field. The, same the, same was the same end zone the whole time? It was the same end zone the whole time. Which I didn't. I, I correct. I guess I'm ro- completely wrong with that. I don't see how that's fair because obviously you switch half times. Yes, you switch at quarters. You switch all that good stuff. So I was figuring after the first. Overtime, the, the defense is now back on all, our defense again, and offense back on offense. That so they would also flip it to make it a little bit more fair. So, I, I don't think you want to lose the coin toss by any means. Yeah. I still would rather be second because you're in control. You know what you need to get. I think it's a little bit scary when, especially if you just settle for a field goal, uh, the uncertainty, especially going against a really good offense, of having to then hold them uh, to only a field goal or obviously a block like we did the second overtime. So. I think it it made a difference noise wise, but still at the end of the day, I would, I would definitely prefer to go number two in overtime.
3: Yeah, it certainly did make a difference, Nick. And that's a great observation. I thought when it was happening, I thought getting Oklahoma on only 25 yards of grass was a huge advantage for Georgia because everything was working for them for most of the game. So kind of making their playbook smaller and then their selection of plays, weaker and then lincoln riley's play calling in overtime i mean holy cow that was catastrophic so nick great observation appreciate your call next guest and our final guest is going to be garrison garrison thanks for holding and welcome into the punt and pass podcast
1: hey thank you it's great to be here um i know both of you guys played for georgia so you might be a little biased but uh having two sec teams in the national championship Does this make the SEC the undisputed best conference in college football?
3: I wish it would be undisputed, Garrison. The national media will tell you otherwise. fact of the matter is this, though. The SEC got two teams into the college football playoff because the committee thought that two of the teams were the best four in the nation. Well, guess what? They had to play the games. If the ACC wanted to do something about it, they should have beaten Alabama. If the Big 12 wanted to do something about it, They should have beaten Georgia. So to your point, the national champion, regardless of who wins, will be from the SEC, and this decade-long dynasty that has been going on is truly remarkable. So, yes, of course, I will say, and I am biased, that the SEC is the undisputed best conference in college football. And just to add on to that, having played in the NFL and seeing the type of talent that comes out of the SEC and ready to play at the next level, Aaron, I think it's a no brainer, but there is a lot of room for discussion and debate there.
2: Yeah, it definitely shows. I think it's been year after year. And I know everyone wants to talk about last season, obviously Clemson won, and they had a great record versus uh, verse the sec last season. But I think if you want to talk about consistently year in, year out, having the best teams, having the best talent, I, I think there's no comparison when you want to talk about the sec and all these other teams, there's a reason why the majority of these guys get drafted to the NFL more than any other conference. Yeah. There's a reason why there's always an SEC team in the playoffs or in the championship. It's just a better conference. And yeah, we may not win every year, just like last year, but it's the consistency. It's not the one year in, one year out kind of thing. Uh, And that's what makes SEC so competitive. and, And in my opinion, and I think Drew's opinion too, probably the best conference in all of college football.
3: Yeah, there's no doubt. Thanks so much for the call, Garrison. All right, dude. Well, that was a lot of phone calls. We always love having interaction with all of our fans. You can interact with us. On social media, Twitter and Instagram is at punt and pass. Aaron Murray is at Aaron Murray eleven, and I am at Drew Butler thirteen. One more question from social media. This one's from Miranda Chamberlain, Aaron. I think this is. I think this is pretty topical. I mean, all, all, the whole point of our podcast is bringing former player, recent former player perspective to what everybody's watching on the weekend. And she asks, is former players. Of the program, what does this mean to you? What does this entire national championship build up? Having it be in Atlanta, too. I mean, that's pretty awesome.
2: I tell you what, it's special. And coming from, I think you and I are a little different because you you probably grew up a Georgia football fan. I mean, my first time I ever watched a Georgia football game was uh, the Sugar Bowl when when we played Hawaii. Yep. And that blow, and I was like, holy smokes. One, those black jerseys are sweet. And two, there's a really good football team. Maybe I should take a visit to Athens and see if I want to be a Bulldog. So... Uh, For me, I'm I'm still fairly new to this, to the, you know, I guess football in the South uh, and also uh, this bulldog world. I mean, I've only been in about eight years when you've probably been in it since you were,
3: well, we moved here in 99. So I would say officially since 1999. Yeah,
2: there you go. A little bit longer than me. So (laughs) uh, it it is special though, especially when, when I think both of us have have put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears and into that to that university into the to the game of football. A little bit of sweat, uh, a few a little, tears, not so much blood. Yeah, not so much blood for you. More <laughs> more golfing than anything yes, than that. But of course. Uh, it is special. And I love I love being a, a Georgia Bulldog. I love being a player and, and I love even more being a fan. I tell you what, it was a special moment being in Pasadena. I was with with Sharon, uh, my girlfriend, and, and we just had an amazing time sitting up there in the stands, uh being a part of the the liveliness of all the fans, the action, the craziness. And and I tell you what, it's going to be the same way come Monday night.
3: I did not get to go to the Rose Bowl, but I was at the SEC championship. And literally everybody you knew from Georgia was at the game. It's only going to be magnified probably by five or ten times on Monday night for the national championship game. All right, up next, Aaron, we have our first guest of the week, and it's none other than Coach Mike Bobo. That's right. Run the ball, Coach Bobo. Coach Mike Bobo, maybe, and I've said this, two of the most underappreciated Georgia football people in history are coach Bobo and Aaron Murray. I'm on record for saying that. So listening to this interview with coach Bobo, we talk about Colorado state. We talk about the national championship game and a few other things. All right. We're going to welcome in our next guest here on the punt and pass podcast, getting you geared up for the national championship game between Alabama and Georgia. And this guest is a very special one to both Aaron and myself he is the head coach of the Colorado State Rams former offensive coordinator at the University of Georgia and a good buddy to both Aaron and I coach Mike Bobo coach Bobo how are you doing today sir
0: I'm doing great guys I got one question why is it it's the past
1: put podcast why that's what I've been past. saying since day
2: one Drew wants to hog all the glory over here it was my Can idea and hand, it sounds is true. better <laughs> very simply put very simply put Coach, great season this year. Uh, Big, big bowl win to finish it off. Kind of talk about your process and, and Kirby's young head coaches. I mean, you guys are relatively young. I know you guys have been in the game for a long time. You've been under great head coaches. You with Coach Rick and him, obviously, with Saban. But now you guys have had your opportunity to go shine. Talk about the transition from being an assistant to now a head coach and having success so early on.
0: Well, first of all, that's why I love you, Murray, because you're always positive. Because we lost the bowl game, but in your eyes, we won. See, you, you, you I love it.
2: Did you always oh, I thought that San Jose know. State game was not the bowl game. The forty-two to four, or fourteen.
0: Uh, that, was the, that was the last game. Last you game know, of the
2: season. I will right, we'll finish time. off the last game of the season strong, Come on, Murray. Come on. <laughs> always positive, though. I got uh, your back, been, Bobo.
0: Been, I know you do. It's been great. Uh, you know, obviously, it's a it's a huge transition going from a. You know, position coach to an offensive coordinator, but then to an offensive coordinator to a head coach. Uh, You know, there's a lot of things that come across your desk. You're not just, you know, focusing on football. There's a lot of things that you've you've got to do as a head coach. But it's been fun. It's a learning experience. Uh, You know, been very fortunate, like you said, to to work under a a really good man, a good football coach, and Mark Rick. And and been around football my whole life, so. It's something I've always wanted to do, uh, and I'm living in a great place in Fort Collins, Colorado, working for great people uh, here. And our school president, and AD, it's it's a it's an exciting time, and I know it's exciting for Kirby, uh, you know, in his second year there and what he's done uh, at the University of Georgia. I know, you know, all three of us are alumni, and all three of us are proud of what's going on there.
3: Coach, it's been a lot of fun following you out here in Atlanta, and a lot of people have a lot of interest in that Colorado State football program, not only because of you, but because of a couple of your assistant coaches. One of my favorite guys that I play with, Joe Cox, is on your coaching staff. Before I ask you about the national championship game, a lot was talked about that early signing period. Give me your thoughts, and I think it's good for the players, which is what matters most. Aaron was kind of on the dissenting opinion, saying it puts a little bit more onus on the coaches with the two separate signing periods. How did you guys handle it out West?
0: Well, I'm going to, I'm going to be honest. It was a uh, really didn't know how it would play out. Uh, and there was a lot of pressure uh, there at the end because we played our bowl game on December 16th and the sign of the day was on the 20th. So we missed a week on the road, about a week and a half and missed an opportunity to host the weekend, but we were still able to sign 17 kids. That's awesome. That I feel really good. I feel great about, uh, I also feel great I don't have to worry about losing them. If I had to hold on to these guys all the way to February, I would lose a few probably. I mean, last year I lost four uh, the night before sun and day to three different SEC schools. So these 17 are locked in, and, you know, now we can kind of focus on the eight or nine that we've got left to, to go recruit. Uh, so I like it. I wasn't really sure how I would like it, but I like it. Uh, you know, but it, it does, it puts a lot more pressure on coaches. You're, you're, you know, It's ramped up two different times of the year now. Uh, you know, I think it's going to stick, but we'll see uh, as we move forward.
2: Coach, kind of flip the script a little bit and talk a little post-game action here. Jacob Eason, and it's been a huge discussion all year long. I know you recruited him back in the day, and, and it's tough. It's tough when you're, you're a kid going to a school. You're not only committing to a school, but you're committing to a coaching staff as well. Uh, then obviously the situation that happened the first game of the season, he goes down from has just been very dominant. It's hard to kind of change up at that point. What advice would you give him? And what do you think his decisions like right now with his family and, and what he's going to do next season? Well, I, I
0: don't, I, I really don't know, Aaron, cause I haven't, you know, talked to him or his family. I had the you know, pleasure of recruiting him early on. Uh, when he was young out of, out of our Lake Stevens, where he was from and just an awesome kid an awesome family. Uh, and an awesome talent, and, you know, I think sometimes we've got to go through things in life to grow, uh, and sometimes that adversity is going to help guys grow, and it's not, it doesn't happen the way that you thought it was going to happen when you go to a certain school, and, you know, I think if he, from everything that I see outside looking in, is he's handling it the right way, and he's He's being a great teammate, and, and I'm sure you know he wants to play like all of us want to play. But if he uses an opportunity to grow and, you know, get through this adversity, it's only going to make him a better better football player and a better person, in my opinion.
3: Yeah, I've been on the record saying that I think he stays at Georgia, Coach Bobo, because he wanted to go three and out in the first place, and uh, he can just go to the NFL and get paid right away. But Aaron and, and a lot of people, I am uh, that's a little conspiracy theory on my end, but. We'll uh, we'll see what happens. You know, with them playing so late in the national championship, that only plays well into my conspiracy. But, hey, looking forward to Monday, and a lot of people down here are talking about Coach Kirby Smart going up against Coach Nick Saban, and all you ever hear is Coach Saban's record against his former assistants. He's 11-0 and in those games, and he's outscored those opponents 427 to 111. Do you throw that out, or do you put something into that with a matchup like this coming up on Monday night at Mercedes-Benz Stadium? No,
0: well, he's got to lose sooner or later, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, he'll defeat him forever. No, I don't, I, I don't think so. I don't think Kirby's looking at it like that way or Coach Saban's either. I think both coaches are, you know, deep into game planning and trying to prepare their guys and get them as fresh as they can be But they can go out and play fast and, and, and then, you know, play to their best abilities to to put their best foot forward and try to win the ball game. It's going to be a challenge, you know, for both teams. Both these teams are excellent football teams. They're very well coached. Both teams have uh, a lot of confidence and belief that they can go out and win. And, you know, it's going to come down to a few plays like it always does. And then being able to handle, handle those critical moments in a game, uh, you know, whether it's a momentum swing for you or one against you, but uh, you know, obviously coach Saban has a lot of experience being in those games, but so does, so does, so does Kirby. He wasn't the head coach, but he's been in a lot of these big football games and big moments. So I'm sure both coach head coaches and coaching staffs are are ready to go out and and play the game.
2: I don't know if you exactly remember the game plan, but uh, the SEC championship game, because I thought we moved the ball very well throughout the day. First half, second half able to put points on the board kind of what's your mentality going against this Alabama defense? What, what what would you do offensively? What did we do back in the day to really uh, give ourselves a, a chance to win it?
3: And they had much better linebackers
2: that year, yes.
0: too. Yeah, well, we played them this year. We played Alabama uh, this year at Colorado State, the uh, fourth game of our season. I think mean, it was the third of theirs. And uh, having played them a couple times at Georgia, not, not a lot because of uh, – you know, being on the other side, uh, you know they're very dominant and very they're coached very well. Everybody wants to talk about, you know, they've got all these four and five star athletes, best players in the country, but they get them to play on the same page and 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 they they play great team defense. Uh, they the thing that they do, they don't play a lot of single high, you know, they play a lot of two shell and ask their safeties to force, and then they give their corners help and, and press run uh, in the press. Pressing outside in the pass game, and a lot of times, you know, they're so big up front. People kind of tend to, you know, shy away from sticking to the run uh, against them. And, you know, my opinion, when we played them that year, there were a lot of hard year, hard yards, but we, you know, we stuck to the run game. And and I think you got to be able to, you know, to stick to the run and be willing to take the three or four yards against them. Some, sometimes, you get in a passing game against these guys. They're they are some of the. The most well-coached team I've ever played against, uh, and matching coverage, uh, matching pass routes and concepts, and they always have safety help, and you got to work the underneath guys, the tight ends and the backs against them, and you know going against him, and for all those years, and and Cod Grantham was saying he blitzes a little bit more, but Jeremy put the same thing. Those guys do a great job. Uh, in the back end of coaching secondary play. Uh, so it makes it hard to throw the ball. If you're getting, you know, trying to throw it, uh, you know, it can be uh, difficult for you as an offense.
3: Yeah, when you have a player like Minka Fitzpatrick kind of commanding that secondary and really the whole defense, I mean, why wouldn't you just play two shell and dare people to beat you that way? I think it's really funny, Coach Bobo, how Bill Belichick and Nick Saban get credited for this, hey, they're going to take away plan A and force you to go to plan B. I mean, doesn't every coach do that? Isn't that what you do (laughs) when you game plan? I never really understood why those two guys get the credit for that coaching philosophy, which of course is what every single football team tries to do heading into a game day. But to piggyback on that, if they do take away plan A, which is Georgia's run game, obviously, is plan B to attack the second level? Do you send linebackers and match up? Do you send tight ends, excuse me, and match them up against linebackers? Do you get... Sony and DeAndre Swift on some angle routes to try to get them to second level and get them in space because that linebacking core is depleted, especially with Anthony Jennings not playing.
0: Yeah, I think so. You got to, you know, you you can't be one dimensional uh, in anything you do. They got to be able to respect that you're going to throw the ball uh, down the field and you got to mix things up. But at the same time, it's, it's, they're going to play tight coverage. So there's going to be a lot of one-on-one battles uh, that you got to win when you get singled outside uh, those guys uh, that play outside for the University of Georgia are going to have to make plays and, you know, put the ball in position where they can make plays. And then you're going to have some matchups like you said on tight ends and backs. And, you know, they're going they're going to try to they're going to try to take advantage of of, of of what Alabama gives them. And Alabama's going to try to attack Georgia. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, it's going to come down to guys making some plays in some key situations, uh, you know, versus tight coverage.
2: Looking at this from kid, uh. What do you see in him? What do you like from him? It's every time I turn on the film, the, the thing that jumps out is just the consistency. I don't really see the, the, the extreme highs and lows. You see a lot of quarterbacks will go out there and, and have a good day. Then all of a sudden the next game, they're throwing two or three interceptions. And he thinks, I think he's just been consistent. I think they've done a good job of slowly bringing him along. I think they could have sped it up a little bit faster about midway through the season, put a little bit more on his plate, but he seems to have handled it, and he seems to have ice in his veins. I, I was at the game in Pasadena, and some of the throws, especially late, some of those dig routes over the middle, our Verizon concept, where you're throwing that dig right over the linebacker. It's just really impressive to see his command of this offense, how he's not phased at all about what's going on. And and really, he's played in these type of games. He's been in Notre Dame. He's played in the SEC Championship game. He's played at Auburn. Is this just another game from him? Because he's proven it over and over again that – I am a nineteen year old kid, but I've handled these situations pretty well so far.
0: Well, I've known Jake for, for a long time and his family and first time I ever met him I I thought this was a guy that has a lot of confidence or as you guys like to say, a lot of a lot of swagger about him. Uh he does it he's got that confidence you want in a quarterback that, you know, whatever's put on his plate, uh he can get it done. And I just, you know, obviously watch the games and when I get a chance or record them and watch those guys play and just been very impressed of how, you know, he's led that offense and in control of what they've asked him to do. And obviously guys around him have played extremely well, and but I don't think he's got enough credit for the way he's played. You know, the other night that third and seven, when they were kind of an odd front, front overloaded to the trip side, he checked in that zone run back to the right. You know, little things like that go unnoticed a lot, but that was a huge play in the game. It went untouched for I don't know thirty, forty yard touchdown. I think he's just he's he's locked in on what they want to do and who they are as an offense right now, uh, and he's playing his role to to perfection right now. And there's going to be some moments in the game, that he's going to have to play well. With that drive, I think they went down to tie the other night. You know, he made a h- couple huge plays on that drive. Uh, you know, anytime his number's called, he, he's made the play and he's, you know, he's improved. And like you said, you know, when he throws a touchdown or he happens to throw an interception, which he hadn't thrown many of them this year, uh, you don't see a guy uh, lose confidence. And, you know, that's a credit to those guys around him that, that are playing well and, and that's got his back. But it's, you know, he's the guy running the show. So that tells you right there that he's a kid that, uh, you know, has what it
3: takes. Coach, a couple more questions for you before we let you go. Before the SEC Championship game and Georgia was matched up against Auburn, I kept saying, man, Auburn's got to be running out of gas. They were on an unbelievable run where they had beaten three top five teams in a month. Now they're coming into the SEC Championship. They were a little bit banged up, and I said, I don't like the way this feels for Auburn. Now Georgia, after last week and what they were able to accomplish in Pasadena with that unbelievable double overtime game – it kind of seems like that's the situation they're in. As a head coach, when you have to travel cross-country, which you had to do a lot this year being in Colorado, and taking in those adrenaline-pumping, insane, emotional games, how do you get back to level? I think the one good thing for Georgia is, is this is it, man. This is the national championship game. One game left, and I know they're going to be pumping recovery, rest, get in the film room. Do you think that's real? Because I do, and I think Aaron could attest to that having played the game.
0: Yeah, I mean it's 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 definitely real, and that's one of the things as a head coach that, you know, you've got to be able to gauge your football team and you know what you know, how they how they look and how they react when you go out and practice this week. You know, are we going to take anything off to make sure we're rested and, and ready to go, but at the same time getting prepared to play a, play a great football team and. Uh, you know, and you don't want to ever mention that as a coach, as an excuse, because it's not an excuse. Like you said, it's, we got one game, you know, to play for the national championship and we're going to be ready, but that stuff does take its toll. And I think the good thing for, you know, Georgia and both teams that they're playing in Atlanta, you know, there's not a lot of travel to go to this national championship game. They're not having to get on, they're not having to get on a plane and travel. They're just going to ride down the road, 60 something miles and stay in Atlanta. I think that's a huge advantage, uh, you know, for Georgia, uh, I mean, obviously the other team has a little bit more advantage of only playing in New Orleans, but Georgia going across the country and then coming back. And now for the championship game, they only have to go to Atlanta. That's That's got to help. But at the end of the day, both teams are tired. It's been a long season. I mean, these teams started practice back in, you know, the first of August, some of them in July this year, because they, they, they changed the, count, the camp calendar a little bit. Uh, but you got one game and it's going to come down to, You know, be able to focus and do the little things when you're tired. Both teams are going to be tired during the game. They're going to have aches and bruises, but uh, it's being able to focus and your habits are going to take over. And these are two teams that, you know, obviously have great habits
2: and do things on a daily basis the right way. That's put them in position to play in this game. Coach, it's Monday night. We're getting ready for the game. Give me one thing both for for Alabama and one for Georgia that, that must go right for them in order to win the game. And also, let us hear what your prediction is for uh, for Monday night.
0: Uh, I'm not giving it any...
2: <laughs> Oh, you're giving a prediction. Come on now.
0: Uh, I'll give you a prediction there in a minute. But Alabama, I think they've got to get the passing game going a little bit. Uh, you know, they've got to be able to complete some balls, uh, you know. And then, you know, the, the – and then for Georgia, uh, you know, I think you got to be able to continue to try to have balance. Uh, you know, I think everybody wants you to hand the ball off to Nick and Sony every play, but it doesn't work like that. You got to be able to have balance and keep on this. And then Georgia also, uh, you know, when Alabama does pass, they probably their best play sometimes is hurts. Just running, you know, running with the football is their best run play. Sometimes he, he, he makes so many huge plays, uh, with his legs, but, uh, you know, I think Georgia being balanced and and containing hurts, and then then Alabama. You know, having to complete some balls. So I, I don't have a prediction in the game. The prediction I would is you'll probably have some gel in your hair. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Listen, but I won't be to on the sideline with ESPN, so I got to yeah. be looking fresh for the game.
0: You, you, you'll be, you or T who, who can have the most gel in their hair. For there you this, go. Today. Who has the tightest hey, shirt and has
2: the most gel?
3: I told Aaron, if the dogs win, I feel bad for him because that number 11 jersey will never, ever be associated with Aaron Murray again. <laughs> oh, did Murray wear 11? Yeah, isn't that yeah, wild? It's
2: crazy. I totally forgot about that one, too. <laughs> unbelievable hey, I might have to bring it out and wear it at the game on the sidelines yeah, you really
3: should <laughs> coach we really appreciate your time man and thanks for joining us here on the punt and pass podcast good luck next season i'm sure we'll talk to you before then
0: all right guys happy new year talk to y'all soon see you. see you coach
3: all right that was coach mike bobo huge thanks for him coming on to the podcast this week taking a little bit of time out of his busy schedule to talk Colorado state to talk about aaron's hair gel to talk mm-hmm. about the national championship game so what a week we have planned, Aaron. Again, tomorrow night at Sweetwater Brewery in Atlanta. Come hang out with Aaron and I. We're doing a live podcast from 6 to 7 p.m. will be a meet and greet. 20 bucks will get you a free beer and time to hang out with Aaron, hang out with myself, get some pictures, get some autographs, and then we will get rocking at 7 p.m. If you just want to come at 7, pull on in there, and come hang out, and we can do. All of that anything on the way out my man you excited for a big weekend
2: I'm excited man I'm gonna try to get some sleep tonight I got like you said a lot of fun events coming up this weekend and the game's gonna be awesome luckily my boss is giving us I believe Monday off okay and, and don't, what have about show, don't have to show up till Tuesday till noon so he okay he knows what's up Will Matthews knows that I think pretty much the entire city of Atlanta is gonna be shut down getting ready oh to rock maybe get a little the weather's permitting a little flag football game Monday morning oh just to get just the to get the flowing. juices flowing don't get hurt Get a couple beers, play a little football, okay. and then head to the game and have some fun. Now, you're
3: going to be on ESPN actually, maybe, sideline. Actually, no, maybe minus
2: the beer since I have to actually work <laughs> the game. I can't be a fan this you're time. You're working
3: ESPN sideline, working correct? we Working working
2: ESPN sideline. And we so, don't
3: know what channel yet.
2: It's going to be so they'll have an, uh, obviously, the name. Simulcast. Yeah, the simulcast. I'll be on the Georgia, simul- Georgia simulcast station. So if you want to see me and get my opinion of the game in-game, I'll be doing it and having some fun. Awesome. All right. That's the Thursday episode of the Punt and Pass podcast. Check back
3: tomorrow. Come out to Sweetwater, holler at us, get us on social media, and we'll have an episode every day up until Sunday. For Aaron, I'm Drew. See you.